time is finite. We don't have all the time in the world. Pumped up. You are here today bringing the energy, bringing the heat, breaking the rules, but first breaking the rulers. That is how we like to do on this show 100%. All about nonconformity, right? Getting things done in an unconventional way, following the life that you were meant to live, the life that you were born to live, not the one where you suffocate and you feel like you're going to pass out because you have to go to work and your anxiety levels over your head because you have to do one more day of something that's boring, uninteresting, really not doing anything for you, right? Except suffocating you, uh, wasting your life. Before you know it, you're going to look back and think, wow, where'd all the time go? Do not get stuck in that trap. I hope you are here today to learn exactly how you can go about getting away from that trap. And again, I'm doing everything I can to connect you with creative superstars all over the world, doing things that they love every single day, making a difference, changing the world. And I couldn't be happier to be able to do that with you. My guest today, and actually this is a two-part episode because we talked and talked and talked, and this is a new version of of the podcast, really, because I'm going to start gearing it towards value topics that you all want to hear. So if you haven't yet done this, shoot me an email at create at artsynow.com and give me a topic that you'd like to hear or give me a guest that you'd like to hear on the show, and I will do my best to, to cover that. And one thing that I've talked to a lot of people about is making more time for creating. And I've got an incredible dude on, Kent Sanders, who has a lot to say about this how to make time for your art, right? And we actually go through his big list, 21 strategies to make time for your art, which if you guys haven't been able to come across him yet, you should right now. I would go to his website. I'm actually subscribed to it. I read a lot of his stuff and it's all really, really good stuff. Uh, he, he writes two creatives and he's got a a really a four pack. If you sign up for his email list, you get the artist manifesto, the art of completion, how to get your mojo back and the ultimate resource guide for entrepreneurs. He's using a term. I think he uses art, artpreneurs, but it's incredible, right? And so we get to talk about how to make time for your art in this episode. We go through all of his steps and a bunch more that I've added in. And what I've done this time is I've actually created a free download, and I'm going to start doing this with my episodes. I don't know if it'll be every one, but I'm going to test it out for a while because I thought, you know what? People need to be able to take this stuff that we're putting out there and make it actionable. It's hard enough to get to get the audio out and listen throughout your day, but then actually writing stuff down and putting them into action It doesn't seem to be as easy. So I want to make it easy for you. So if you go to artsynow.com forward slash 91 download, 
You'll be taken to a page where you can actually get this big list of how to make time for your art in PDF form. It'll be very nice. And all of the resources and tools that Kent and I talk about in this to help you do that. So some weeks it'll be a little different. You know, maybe you'll get a song to download. Uh, maybe you'll get some kind of technique that I use. But check it out. Get on there, artsynow.com forward slash 91 download. There will always there will also be a link in the show notes just at artsynow.com forward slash 91. So I can't wait to jump into this conversation with Kent. It's incredible. I mean, the guy's brilliant. He, he, we really click, obviously, because this went on for two and a half hours, so I had to split it into two episodes. But check it out. Uh, get on there. I'm really pumped up. If you have any questions, email me at create at artsynow.com. There will be links to get in touch with Kent there as well. But I hope you enjoy these 21 strategies to help you make more time to create, make more time for your art. I can't express how much this has changed my life. These these are the things that I use on a daily basis to be able to do all the things that I do. So remember, I'm out there. I, I still have a day job. I'm making that transition, right? And I get up early and I work late and I have this big chunk of eight to 10 hours in the middle of my day where I'm actually on the road driving for work. These are the tools and techniques that people like Kent and people like I use to make time for doing more creative things in life, which is huge. It's important. Once you lose your creativity, there's really no point anymore, right? So make sure you're always doing something. Make sure you're always creating. There's nothing more magical than that. Artsynow.com forward slash 91. And then for the download, artsynow.com forward slash 91 download. So chickity, 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 chickity. Check that out, man. Come on, everybody. Let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody. Let me hear that stickity, stickity, riggity, biggity, bee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, man. Let's do this damn thing. Boom! Well, here we go now! Who wants to get a little bit funky out there? Who wants to get a little creative out there, huh? Yeah! Which one of you wants to get a little bit artsy now? Well, then get on with your bad selves, yeah! When it comes to art, when it comes to creativity, when it comes to lighting up the colorful little heart of yours and taking it the extra mile to create the life that you absolutely love, I have no better guest to bring on the show than the one I've got today. He's a writer, he's a musician, he's a professor, and he concentrates on helping artists do the creative work that makes their weasel go pop. He's the author of How to Make Time for Your Art, The Artist's Manifesto, The Art of Completion, The Ultimate Resource Guide for Entrepreneurs, and How to Get Your Mojo Back. A skidamarinkity-dinkity-dink, a skidamarinkity-doo-hoo. Kent Sanders, yoo-hoo, are the entrepreneur now. What is going on, Kent? Not much, Heath. It is so good to be on the show, and that is the best podcast intro I've ever heard, by the way. <laughs> Sometimes I literally like I the best it, one. If I didn't do it like that, then it would uh, it would be so boring, and nobody would ever listen to the show. I I would love to get like a stat that shows like when they stop listening and see how many people just listen through <laughs> and stop. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I love it. It's different. It's <laughs> unique. It's energetic. It's awesome. Yeah, the story behind that is I actually had my friend on the first interview, 
and his name was Franklin Murphy. And if you go back and listen to that episode, you know, Lord help you. It's, it's so funny seeing the progression from when you first start to now. And I just did it for the, you know, for the hell of it. I it just came out. I did it. I felt comfortable with him. And after that, I just decided to keep doing it because it was fun. And I don't think I've ever told that on air before as to why I do, but that's pretty much it. You know, not too <laughs> exciting, kind of boring, but, but I'm glad because I really think that people should 100% be themselves. Right. Absolutely. That's how you find your voice. I totally agree. Yeah. So yeah, you've, you're a multi-creative, obviously you're an entrepreneur, you work in so many different ways. You write, you're a musician, you're a professor, you, you, you do these amazing blog posts that I've been following and you've got all these great eBooks up online for people to grab if they want, which I mentioned in the introduction. And you're over there in Missouri right now, so you're not too far from me, uh, which is That's which right. incredible. And I, I'm excited about this interview because I'm making a transition in the show to kind of focus more on certain value topics for the audience. And you get to be pretty much the first one that we're going to do this kind of an interview with. The first thing I want to do, because I think it is really important, is get to know you a little bit with your background, because I'd like people to know who who is helping them, you know, along the way through this interview. And so if you want to start, you know, give me a short rundown of of how you got in the position that you're in. You know, were you always a creative? Did you fist pump as a child with colors and paints and music all around you? Or or did you make a transition <laughs> later in life and things like that? Well, to give you the, I guess, the really condensed version, I've always been involved in creative arts in some fashion or another. Um, in junior high, you know, I was involved in band and choir and all kinds of music and creative stuff. In high school, I was in the marching band, played drums, loved that, uh, played percussion stuff, was in our choir, was in musicals and plays and, and all that kind of stuff. In college, I went to a Christian college, and it was actually the same school where I teach now in St. Louis, and was involved in um, music, uh, worship leading, creative stuff, and then worked at a church for about eight years in northern Illinois and was the worship leader there. So was heavily involved with musicians, uh, art, creative stuff, and for the past 11 years have taught music, guitar, art, uh, as well as some other what you might consider more uh, sort of general topics like speech, you know, speech class. Yeah. Um, some, some other things like that. But actually, I, I love that course. I love teaching freshmen. And actually, I love the whole topic of public speaking because, you know, it's such a raw topic. I mean, for people to get up and speak in front of others, that is said to be the number one fear that people have. So it's actually really closely tied to any type of creative work or art. I mean, just getting up in front of people and doing something and seeing students conquer their fears and sort of become more confident and comfortable with that whole process. So words, I've been involved in a lot of different things over the years and for the past several years have gotten a lot into writing and blogging and um, just connecting with some really awesome people like yourself and have really enjoyed that whole process. So yeah, it's it's been fun to be involved in a lot of different things and um, that kind of brings us up to where we are today. Yeah, you're kind of, you're also sort of a Evernote madman, aren't you? And I, I know that you have also created the 30 days of Evernote for churches and you and I read a guide the other day. I don't remember what it was called, but I know I read through it and it was like 10, 10 ways to boost productivity through Evernote maybe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, where this all started was about three years ago, three or four years ago, I had a friend who's actually a pastor 
we were talking one day and he was actually kind of doing some mentoring for me and I was telling him about Evernote and how it was so helpful for me. And, and I said, you know, I could send you some things through email that I think some tips that would be helpful for you in your, you know, pastoral work and your organization and preaching and all that stuff. And I said, but instead, let me just make some video tutorials. So I got on my computer and made two or three, you know, 20 minute tutorials, just kind of walking through the basics of Evernote, sent the links to him. And I didn't think anything about it for months. I just sort of forgot about it. And then I happened to check one day and they had gotten tens of thousands of views. And I was thinking, whoa, there's, that's crazy. You know, I mean, that's like far more of a massive audience than I've ever had with anything in my life. And so I knew that there was kind of a market there and a real need there. So as I did more coaching and teaching and training with people, um, when it came to Evernote, I thought, well, why not make a course? So I made a whole course on it. And actually that's not available right now because I'm redoing all of that stuff. It'll be available in the next couple of months. But yeah, I love Evernote. I think it has application for people who are doing kind of creative work. Sorry if you hear thunder in the background. It's we've got some thunderstorms <laughs> here, so it's not a, it's not an atomic bomb or the apocalypse or anything like that. Or like Tim Ferriss always says, warfare in Beirut when he's just <laughs> yeah. going around San Francisco. Yeah, but yeah, I definitely do love Evernote. I never intended to be an Evernote guy or anything like that. I just think it's an incredible tool and. Um, and I'm kind of a, a geek when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm sort of a very anal retentive person at times. So I love systems and being organized and things being in their place and that process that can really reduce your stress. And I love anything that helps me to save time and reduce my stress. And Evernote for me has been a huge part of that. Yeah, I'm a huge productivity geek as well. I love the systems. And I think the more you learn about systems, the more exciting it becomes and maybe we can have you on again, like in the future, just to talk about systems, because it's such an awesome hot topic that I think more and more people are becoming aware of. But today, like I said, we're going to focus on a, a value topic. And I want to I want to get into this, this, this topic and this problem of people not being able to find time to be creative or to do their artwork. And you've already, you've already gone through and created a nice ebook for this that you can get on your website at kentsanders.net, right? It's .net, not .com. Yes, correct. Yeah, and, some yeah. some guy out there owns kentsanders.com, and oh. I tried to buy it from him, and I couldn't get in touch with them. So, yeah, some guy out there has it. So, if you're listening to this and you own kentsanders.com, get in touch with me because I want to buy your domain name. <laughs> That's so funny. So, so yeah, I mean, it, this is a huge problem. We all, we actually in the pre-chat, we are talking about the same thing, like finding time to to be able to discover that that kind of uh, niche and, and being able to make the time to work on that creative process and do you think that do you think simply completing a project is the biggest downfall of creativity i mean we we spark these brilliant ideas we dive into the momentum like the world is ours really when we first get them and then something there happens and we stop you know we give up we put it on the back burner how do artists and creatives in general solve this problem? I mean, how do we prevent the what might have been question that comes a lot of times at the end of this? Well, I think we're most people who are creative, at least this is my experience, is I'm really good at coming up with ideas and I'm really good at starting things, but I'm really bad at finishing things. I mean, I've started way more things than I've ever thought about finishing. And I think the solution is, you know, we try to find 
the exact solution for something, you know, we'll, we'll check out this webinar that is going to give us five easy ways to do X, Y, Z, or we'll buy this book or we'll buy this course or listen to this expert talk about, you know, how to be really successful and all that stuff can be really helpful. But I think what, just when it comes down to it, you just have to figure out a way to get it done. And for me, it is as simple as, okay, you know, if you're writing, you just sit your behind in the chair and you, and you write and you find a regular time to do that and you do it whether or not you feel like it, you know, you approach it like it's your job, you know, and for some of us, it is our jobs to a degree. And so to me, it's not really a complicated thing, or at least it doesn't have to be, you know, it's just, I think finding, right. It is, it's really, really simple, but it's hard to do. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like forgiveness, you know, the concept of forgiveness of forgiving somebody who's wronged you is very simple, but it's really hard to do because it's not natural to want to do that. It goes against our, our kind of our human nature. And I think discipline is the same way. Most people are not naturally disciplined and it's, it's hard to find that regular time to sit down and do the hard work of thinking about something and of slogging through a book project or putting together a podcast or a blog post or whatever it is that you do. It's just, you know, 90% of it is just doing the work and it's not the inspiration. It's not all the emotional highs. It's just, just getting it done. You know, like Larry, the cable guy says, you got to get her done. (laughs) I think that's, it's probably the first time that he's been quoted on your podcast. It's probably the first time he's been quoted in like a productive (laughs) way. (laughs) That's that's true. That's not in the context of, you know, drinking or rednecks. Yeah. So, and I am from Missouri. So, and I have, you know, that's, that probably describes Missouri right there. So, Hey man, I'm from Tennessee and, uh, it's even worse. Yeah. The, the Midwest has a lot of, of that type of thing. That's okay. <laughs> well, he's, where's he from? Do you know? Sounds like he's from Tennessee. You know, I don't know. You know, the, the crazy thing about him is, and I can't remember what his real name is, but if you listen to him in an interview where he's not in that persona, he is actually a very articulate guy, a very yeah, intelligent brilliant. guy. Right. He is. And I didn't, I, I feel stupid saying this, but I didn't realize for the longest time that that was an act. I thought, okay, this is, this is just kind of who this guy is. He just is this funny sort of redneck guy, but that's, that's all an act, you know? And I feel kind of silly not even recognizing that for so long, but yeah, it's a different yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. I was, I was listening to a podcast earlier today and they were talking about high performance and it was, it was pretty interesting because it was getting into athletes and how they will actually create an alter ego to be a different person when they have to perform at their best specifically so that they can drop all of their insecurities and any complications they have with their own identity off the chart so that they can perform at, you know, an expert level of what they need to perform at. Yeah. And then they started really getting into people in business that do that. And like, they'll either, you know, put on a special bracelet to let them know that there's somebody else for this moment or maybe wear a certain outfit or one guy was even wearing glasses when he had 2015 vision, he'd put these glasses on and go by a different name and perform at his highest. And that is crazy to me to think about like, just, just what you can accomplish by setting aside all of your troubles and focusing on something else. And in a manner like that almost. Yeah, that's well, that's a great idea. And I mean, I could, <laughs> yeah, I think that that's, an interesting idea. And I can relate to that on a level because I mean, what I think of is whenever I, you know, step into a classroom to teach, which I do multiple times a week, many times I don't feel like doing it. You know, I made just, and I'm kind of a natural 
analytical melancholy sort of a person, you know, like on the, um, on the Myers-Briggs temperament analysis, that's probably not the right term for it, but I'm an ISTJ, you know, a very sort of inward internal person. Mm -hmm. And many times in the college classroom, I don't feel like teaching, you know, I'm feeling kind of introverted and maybe I'm not feeling very confident, but you know, when you step into that classroom, the minute, the minute you walk through that door, you've got to turn it on and you've got to be outgoing and confident. And what I have found is that when I do that, I sort of act the part and then pretty soon I feel the part. And I, th I think in a sense you have to make the decision to be that person, whatever that means for you. You know, you have to be that confident person whether or not you really feel it. But I think once you just do it, then the emotions, the inner confidence, I think that just naturally follows. So for me, it's, it has been all about just taking the step regardless of my emotions. I just have to do it. And then I'll start to feel it and get into it. And, you know, it's probably that way with just about anything, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if, I, if, if you want to write, right, just set aside 30 minutes every single morning to, to do nothing but write and see how far yeah. that gets you. Or yeah. if you have nothing, I mean, if that's your job, you know, maybe do it for four hours a day. And don't think about what you're actually putting out there. Just know that you're accomplishing what you woke up to do. And that's enough in itself right. to, to make serious, serious progression um, throughout, yeah. throughout the time, right? So, well, yeah, it's it, it's not really about what you intend to do or what you plan to do. It's what what did you actually do, you know? Yeah, so that's sure. that's kind of really where the rubber meets the road, I guess. Yeah, cool. So here in a second, I want to get into these these twenty one strategies you have to help make time for your art because I think they're awesome. And I've also got a group of different strategies that I use to help make time for creating. Uh, and I'm sorry, when I say art, I mean multiple types of creating. And absolutely. It's a general term that gets thrown around sometimes, but yeah, music, art, creative entrepreneurs, the whole the whole gist. But first, there's there's a couple things that I know that you have talked about and that I've I've been kind of a student of reading through some of your work that are common problems with why people don't have time for the art. So I want to try to tackle those first. I think there's four or five of them, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so sure. I can start by by reading them, or you can. It, it's up to you. Uh, does it make any difference? I'm happy to to okay, just I'll, do I'll me let just you to take the ball and run. Okay, just want me to share what these are and maybe comment a little bit about them. Yeah, let's just talk about them one at a time. Okay, that sounds good. Well, the first one, and by the way, these are all just out of my own experience. And I think one of the dangers of putting out an ebook or putting out well a podcast or anything like that, for that matter, is sometimes it's easy for people to perceive that that you think you're an expert on something or that you really have it all together. When for me, the opposite is true. I write about things that I struggle with. And so these all totally come out of my own life and things that I still struggle with today. You know, it's, I don't think I've ever sort of gotten it quite right. So, so these are all sort of, you know, continual learning processes, but <laughs> it's a never ending battle. Right? Yeah, it is. The first one is that you're not using your time intentionally. I think that's the first reason why sometimes we don't get our work done or use our time effectively.
think are some things that we can do to make sure we are intentional with time. I mean, I know there's a couple things for me, like rescue time is a good one. You yeah. Can, yeah, you can literally set it to block everything that's not productive, right? Or in WordPress, you can set it to write, with, write without distraction. I think Evernote has it as well where you can do that. Um, and this is obviously just one little section of not using your time intentionally, but this helps you do it. And then, of course, I use timers. Like I've got the howling timer on my computer that I'll set for 30 minutes at a time, and I'll focus on one thing for 30 minutes. And when it goes off, I'll take a little break. And those are just a couple of things that I use as far as um, being more intentional with my time. And what, what do you think are some things that, that they can do from your end um, that you've experienced? Well, well, I think the – and tools are great. And I think you, know, you have to use tools like that. They can be really helpful. For me, it's been probably at a more fundamental level more of a mindset shift because I'm, I'm naturally kind of a nice guy. I'm a very easygoing person. I get along with everybody, almost everybody. There were some times when I was a kid I didn't get along with my brother, but that's, that's another story. You know, we <laughs> would fight sometimes. That's pretty natural. But I'm a pretty easygoing guy, and, I'm, and I like to make people happy. I don't like people to be upset with me. I hate conflict. You know, I don't like the tension that sometimes comes with all that process. So for me, where this all started was was that if I wanted to be more productive and accomplish more things and do what was important to me, I had to to start being more ruthless about how I use my time. And to me, it, it just means sometimes limiting my access to people. And I work at a college, so sometimes that's kind of hard to do. But uh, I just try to be very intentional about, okay, I'm going to control my time and other people are not going to control my time because you know, time is like money in the sense that unmanaged money misbehaves. I think, you know, Dave Ramsey has said things like that before, which I think is a brilliant insight. And time, I think, is the same way, is that if you don't manage your time and aren't intentional about how you use it, it just sort of happens. And, you know, if you don't yeah, plan for your time, you're going to... You, you are. And and I, man, I've been there. I've I've been the guy at 1230 at night, you know, watching funny cat videos on YouTube for no good reason. <laughs> you know, just because you sort of wind up there and you're like, why am I doing this? This is insane. Even though they are pretty entertaining. I mean, I have, I'm not going to say they're not entertaining, but, uh, you know, there has to be a limit there somewhere. Yeah, that's true. Cool. All right. Well, moving on to the next one. Sure. Uh, number two, I think the second reason why sometimes we don't use our time well is that we don't have the courage to say no to people. For, and for me, this is probably the most important one, honestly. That's true. I mean, I so saying yes to the right projects, right, and no to the wrong ones as well. And for a huge problem for me because I'm an explorer, I mean, I can sit here and think about this problem for so long. And I think there's a lot of other people that, that deal with it. I mean, doesn't I can see every single personality type having this problem at some point. But I, I want to be involved with everything, right? And it, and it can be a huge yeah. downfall. It really can. And I, it's something that I continue to struggle with every single day. And I, I try to learn these different methods on how do you focus in the areas that you need to be focused when everything that comes along seems so colorful and bright. And you want to be able to give your input and you want to be able to create because let's be honest, creating things is is the reason that we're all here. Like that's that's what drives society. That's what drives culture. And how do you focus on what is right and what is wrong. So, I mean, 
We're going to get into those 21 strategies to help you make time for your art here in a minute. But like, I, I'm guessing that other people struggle with this just as well. I mean, just as much as I do and, and you. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure where all of your listeners are in terms of, uh, you know, their involvement in community groups, um, church groups, things like that. My context is ministry in church. And, you know, for listeners who maybe aren't involved in church and just kind of understand that in the church world, you have a lot of requests on your time if, if you're a person who's involved in things. So, you know, to be honest with you, some, there have been some times where people have asked me to be involved, you know, either running sound or, you know, playing on the, the, playing the band at church or doing other types of things. And because I don't like to disappoint people, sometimes I've said yes to that when I probably shouldn't have, you know, when I didn't really have the time to do it or maybe didn't want to for that particular time. But what I had to do is I kind of had to, to shift my default answer for being yes to no. And that's, that's not a statement about church involvement or anything else on any sort of level. But for me, it was a matter of, okay, if I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to produce more stuff, I have to start limiting my involvement in other things to a degree. And what that meant was that I was going to have to disappoint some people who wanted me to do things for them. And that was really, really difficult for me because I hate people to be upset with me. I just hate that. But I knew that if I didn't control my time, I'm... Other people were going to control it for me, not because they're bad people, but just because, you know, again, unmanaged time is going to to flow to many other places and probably not going to flow to the things that are most important to you. So I just had to, to change my default answer to no. So basically anymore, other than the things I'm doing uh, currently, if another opportunity comes along or a request, I almost always say no to it unless there's a very good reason to say yes. And I mentioned that because most of the time our default answer is, oh, sure, I'll help you out or sure, I'll do this for you. But when you do that, you end up being resentful of people, you know, using your time and having requests on your time. And sometimes you, you're mad at yourself because you didn't have the courage to say no. I know. That's what I was going to get into is, is how, you know, I guess people would be really scared to say no to family and friends. And that's that's definitely a problem that I struggle with in you know, you don't want them to think that you're turning them down. So, right, right. Have you experienced like any any problems with relationships or anything because you've acted that way, or has it really been greener on the other side than you than you thought it would be? Well, it's it's been okay, you know, the vast majority of the time. But the reason that it's that it's been okay is because I've spent some time sort of. Uh, preparing the soil, I guess, in a sense. I don't know another term for that. Yeah. But I've I've let people know that, hey, for the next few months, I'm going to be working on this or that project or I'm really focusing on my writing. And by the way, you know, when you say you're writing, that is sort of a catch-all for a lot of things. And, and nobody ever challenges that, which is awesome. If you say, hey, I'm working on a book, people just naturally go, oh, well, they're working on a book. So <laughs> naturally, that's a big important thing. So just a little tip there. <laughs> you know, if, if you say you're working on a book, most people aren't going to question that at all. And, you know, you should be honest about it, obviously. But, um, but yeah, for me, what that meant was a couple things in a real practical sense. Last fall, I actually had a part-time job at my church. And I really needed to get out of it because it was taking up a lot of time. And as much as I love my church, it wasn't something that I personally needed to be doing. That wasn't the best use of my time in consideration of my long-term strategy of writing books and, and all this stuff. So 
you know, I didn't just go to my, go to our pastor one day and say, Hey, I'm done with this. I'm out of here. See ya. This is your problem. You know, instead I, you know, had some conversations with him and some others in our ministry, you know, well ahead of time saying, Hey, this is going to be happening at the end of the year. I'm going to be stepping down from this role. How can I help you prepare for this? And, you know, I gave suggestions on some things they could do and some ways that they could prepare for that transition. I helped train the, the person who took over my role. You know, I tried to be really, really helpful. And I think to me, that's the key is you can tell people no, but you can do it in a way that actually is helpful to them rather than creating tension in that relationship. You know, so if somebody comes to me and says, hey, can you come in and do this thing for me? Can you come in and help me with music for this event or something? I'll probably say no, but instead of just saying no, I'm going to say, hey, I can't personally do it, but let me talk to some students and see if I can line someone up for you. Or let me put the word out to some friends of mine in churches and, and let's see if they can help you. Or, you know, how can I help you with what you're doing without me personally having to be involved in it? And yeah. I think people appreciate that and understand it. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something that I've, that's a route that I've been taking as well. And as you meet more people and you build your network, you know, that gets easier and easier as something comes along. And, and to be honest, you can even, you can even implement that into, and now I don't want it to sound like skis ball or anything, but you can implement that into affiliate uh, work as well, which a lot of people do. And, and, you know, you can make a little bit extra money doing it if you, if you set sure. something up. Um, sure. Like for me, if I get a website project and I can't handle it, you know, I've put some people in place that I can forward the business to and, and they'll send a small affiliate feedback. And, you know, that's, that's a great thing because you, you actually spend a lot of time working to get to that point as well. It's not like you're just waking up one day and saying, okay, now I'm going to be able to do some affiliate marketing here. But yeah, there's, there's all right. sorts of different right. ways you can get around that. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of this whole process comes from having a lot of clarity on what your gifts are, what your interests are what your passion is, what your life direction is. Because if you're not really clear on those things, then you don't really have uh, a compass to help you navigate all that. You know, for me, I, I understand what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. I understand what things are going to help me succeed and where I'm not going to succeed. And for me, it's, it's really a pretty clear-cut deal. You know, if somebody asks me, hey, can you do, do this particular thing? I pretty much immediately know if I'm going to do that thing or not. And whether it filters into how I want to use my time and how I want to serve and, and all that stuff. So to me, it becomes much easier once you get clear on your own values and what direction you're going and how you want to spend your time and what your goals are. You know, so once you kind of think through all that stuff, to me, it, it's much easier to be able to filter out opportunities and how you're going to use your time and responsibilities, that type of thing. At least for me, it has been. Yeah, I agree 100%. So, all right, sense, sense of urgency. Yes, that is number three uh, as we're talking about, you know, how, why sometimes we don't use our time well. And I do believe if we don't have a sense of urgency about something, things will just drag out indefinitely. You know, so you have to, I think, just set a, set a timeline for something and, you know, and remember time is finite. We don't have all the time in the world. Yeah. You know, it's going to run out at some point. And, you know, sometimes because we're perfectionists, you know, we creative people, we keep putting stuff off and we don't do it and we don't do it and we don't feel this urgency about it. So that's why I think, you know, being a part of mastermind groups and other things like that can be so great because it helps us to have accountability from other people and other people are kind of holding our feet to the fire and saying, Hey, did you do this? Or did you take care of this? How did you do on your goals for this week? 
And that, that really helps, I think, provide some urgency. Yeah, accountability is huge. And I mean, how, how do you, how can people not take life for granted? Because it's such a common problem. And I saw a, an image today that was really awesome because it kind of hits right on this point. It was, it said, you know, listen, people, you know, life is not a rehearsal. You know, this is, this yeah. is the real thing. It's not, this isn't, this isn't your first, but not last take, right? You get, you get this one shot. It's not a rehearsal. And that really kind of made me uh, giggle a little bit because it's true. I mean, it really is true. And I really, honestly, the first, you know, 27 years of my life, I didn't act like that. You know, I really did act like life was just a rehearsal. It's like, okay, what am I going to figure out today? Probably nothing. What am I going to figure out tomorrow? Probably nothing. I'll just keep <laughs> floating through society, right? I'll just do it tomorrow. And, and that's a trap that so many people get stuck in. But if you get to this point where you have that that eagerness or that urge to to be able to move in the direction that you want, I'm telling you, once you start doing it, you'll get to a certain point where you get over this hump that there's no way you can start going back the other direction, right? And these things right, like right. sense of urgency, uh, they start to come into play a lot more and you start to actually be one with it as, as opposed to being scared of it. Yeah. And I think there are things you can do to create an emotional urgency because, you know, I mean, at our heart, we're driven by emotions. As much as we like to think we're logical people, really, we don't make logical decisions. What we do is, I think maybe Tony Robbins said this or somebody famous said this, I don't remember who, but they said, you know, we don't make logical or rational decisions. We make emotional decisions and we justify them logically. And I think there's a lot of truth to that because really what impels us to do something is is ultimately a sense of of importance and you know it's sometimes a sense of fear of what will happen if we don't do something and it's that emotion of wanting to do right by our families and our friends and, and all that so something that helps me to create a sense of urgency again this is a really simple thing is on my phone whenever I just uh, you know turn on my phone I've got a picture of a note that my son wrote me that just says to dad with love you know it's written in, in his 10 year old handwriting it's kind of sloppy and everything, but but I love that because every time I turn on my phone, I see that, and it reminds me I'm doing this for a reason, and it just gives me that sense of urgency, you know, that that it doesn't last forever. There is a limit to the time you have on this earth, and there's a limit to the time I'm going to have my kid at home before he goes off to college and is an adult, and you know, there's there's just an urgency that I have about this stuff. And maybe part of it is the fact that I turned 40 last year. So maybe I'm just more <laughs> emotional than I used to be. And, um, and no, I, I think, think that so. is true. I mean, I, I, well, it might be as far as being a little bit more emotional, but I think that it is something that everybody needs to pay attention to no matter what age. Right. Yeah, I, th I think so. Definitely. And that kind of swings us right into that, that fourth issue that people might run into which is spending time on things that don't produce results. And yeah, it's, it's yeah. a huge topic as well. Like I, I've struggled with this dramatically and I recently read, you know, I had Dan Norris on the show and the episode was pretty unproductive as far as what we covered, because it was more just like humor after humor and nothing really that was of value. It was still a funny listening, but we, we got into bourbon and horses and things like that. But his book, the seven day startup has been one of the most just, eye-opening, I don't know, reads I've had in a long time, kind of on this topic of spending time on things that don't produce results. And he really is the guy who's pitching 
hey, you don't have to spend all this time creating all these different things to get your business set up perfectly before you launch it. You need to go out there and you need to spend time on the things that need to be done within these first five days, launch it, and then you can go back and spend time on things that can be tweaked later, right? You, you go with the yeah. most most valuable uh, option to begin with, and then you can go back and tweak it later. And I think that that can be applied to life in general, not just, not oh, just business. Oh, yeah. Oh, I totally agree with that. I, the example that I share in the in the this book, um, is that when I first started blogging, I I'm a very sort of anal retentive person at heart, you know, and I love details of things, and I would spend hours tweaking stuff on my blog that had nothing to do with its effectiveness. You know, I would, <laughs> I think I went through probably five or six different logo designs, yeah, and because I because I really couldn't afford to have like a professional designer do it at that point. You know, I just did it myself, and I'm a I'm just like a barely okay graphic designer person. I'm not really very good, but I, I just kind of try to do it, you know. And I would spend hours and hours on these. Oh, what font am I going to use? What color am I going to use? And and all this ridiculous stuff that didn't make a lick of difference in my blog's effectiveness. And, you know, I think sometimes we do that, especially if you're a very perfectionist oriented person. You know, sometimes we waste hours and, and weeks and months on things that nobody cares about and aren't making any difference. So I think in a sense, you know, being a very detail-oriented person can actually really hurt you sometimes. If you want to start a business and if you want to be really effective and connect with people and do the things that are really going to produce results. Hey, are you there? I'm here. Oh, okay, sorry. I lost you there for a second. Oh, no problem. I heard connect and then it cut off on me. Uh, yeah, I was just talking about sometimes we can we can do things that are very detail-oriented that prevent us from doing things like connecting with others and really working on the things that are going to produce results. Oh, yeah. And yeah. N- not things that are that are unimportant. I just missed the end of it there then, the last couple words, I think. So, yes, that does happen in these interviews, and I won't edit it out because I think it's good to let you all know that this is not a perfect world. And to be honest, <laughs> I just don't have time to go back and listen through and edit out the little parts. <laughs> hey, it works for me. Yeah, right. Works for me. Well, cool. So we got into we really got into some detail there on some of these these main problems. And now we're going to go through Kent's twenty one strategies to help you make time for your art. And this is an incredible little ebook, and you can get this list on his website, like I had mentioned before. But I'm also going to take some parts of it, maybe not all of it, but I'll take parts of this list as well as all the different things that I do to make time for creating. And I'm going to put together a free download for you on artsynow.com. So if you go to artsynow.com forward slash 91 download, you'll be able to get this big, big strategy of all these different things that we're covering right here. And of course, if you want Kent's version, which is awesome because he actually does go into these, these really unique stories, um, his website will have that plus like four other amazing books you can download all with, with one uh, swoop, which I did. And I read through all of them and they're incredible. So he's been such a huge inspiration to me for the last two weeks that I've discovered him. And I wish I would have done it much sooner than that. So uh, all the show notes. For well, this thanks as so well. much. Yeah. We'll be, they'll be on artsynow.com forward slash 91 also, or forward slash Kent Sanders, uh, whatever fancy, whatever tickles your fancy. Right. <laughs> so, all right, so let's get into these strategies, and we can run down them, you know, rather quickly. But I do, I do think we should talk about 
maybe some of the things that we do in general around these 21 different strategies. And then we have so much to talk about that I'm, I'm going to have to have you on again and we'll cover some more topics because it's a lot of fun. And I think that we're very much on the same page as far as what we're trying to talk about. So let's yes, go. Absolutely. Let's do, let's go start with number one. Okay. Number one is keep a time log. And this is a, just a very, very simple practice. I've done it at different points. And the idea behind this is that you actually write down what you're spending your time on. And the reason that I think this is important is because many times we perceive that we're spending time on things where maybe we're really not. But at other times we think, oh, I'm not spending that much time on this particular thing, but maybe we actually are. So a lot of times we make assumptions about how we're spending our time or, well, money would be the same way. You know, we, we think, oh, I'm not spending that much money on restaurants or eating out or on DVDs or movies or whatever, when sometimes we're, we're actually wasting a lot of money on things or wasting a lot of time. So, yeah, what I recommend is picking a two-week block, printing out a blank weekly calendar for two weeks, and just in 15-minute increments, write down what you're actually spending your time doing. And you can do this a bunch of different ways, I guess. And I, I say 15 minutes because it would be too hard to do it in smaller increments, I think. But um, you can also divide that up into different categories. Like the last time I did this a few months ago, I divided it up into business, church, and work categories. At that time, I, I had a part-time job at my church, and I wanted to see kind of how I was spending my time. The thing that was really surprising to me is I was spending more time on church stuff than I thought, and I was spending less time on writing than I thought. I thought I was doing a lot more writing than I actually was. So, you know, it's important, I think, to let the facts and the data speak for itself rather than just making assumptions about where is our time actually going. That, that, that's, that's huge, too, because I think this is going to be a great exercise, and it actually makes me want to do it. And it's funny because I was listening to and I think it was Amy Porterfield today and, and she's doing something similar. So this, this, what I'm about to talk about actually tweens into the next step. So you, you spend your time writing, writing down what you're doing, right? How you're spending your time yes. for these two weeks. And then eventually you're going to get to a point where you can actually write down on a piece of paper, what you should be spending your time doing also. But another way to go about getting there is something that she was calling the entrepreneur scorecard. So every single day, you know, you print this sheet out and you've got kind of three columns, right? Three or four columns. And you've got like your dollar tasks, your $10 an hour tasks, your $100 an hour tasks and things like that and so on. And you actually put in your to-do list for that day what you're going to be doing based on what you think it's worth, right? And you'll start to notice that some of these things that you're doing, maybe you're doing too many things that are only worth a dollar an hour and you're not doing enough things that are doing, you know, that are worth a hundred dollars an hour. And you start to, you, you can really take that and pinpoint what you should be spending your time on other things that you can actually get out there and outsource to others or cut out completely. But I think this is like the perfect, I was always thinking like, what would be the best starting point? It felt like it was missing something and really keeping a time log would be huge for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, another reason this is good, and I appreciate you mentioning that scorecard. That sounds really interesting. And that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, you um, add up like, I think the way you keep the score is you're adding up how many tasks you do from each column. 
And you can start to see as you do more of the top columns, you know, you, you, the idea is to increase your score every single day until you're doing all these things that are worth way more money for your time. Or okay. it doesn't have to be a monetary thing either. It could just be more high value, right? Because obviously in reality, there's not a lot of us out there like Amy Porterfield who can sit down and make, you know, tasks that are $1,000 an hour, right? Right. So for me, right. it would be more of like a value thing. You know, what is going to contribute more to my vision in these certain areas? And you can break it down that way. Yeah. And, you know, I, th- I think that is important because sometimes we're doing a lot of things and we're actually really busy, but we're we're doing things that aren't producing results. You know, back to the point I mentioned earlier. For instance, you know, if you're a very anal retentive person like I sort of am, I love to have an empty inbox every day. I don't always accomplish that, but I feel a great sense of, uh, sort of like this inner peace. It's almost almost like a Zen kind of a deal. If I have good, an empty it? inbox, it does. And if I have a clean desk and a clean workspace and all those kind of things. But, you know, you can spend three or four hours doing that, but it doesn't really accomplish that much. I mean, answering emails is important, but if all you're doing every day is just looking at the same emails and figuring out how you're going to respond to them, and you know, and you're you're doing that all the time, then that doesn't really accomplish anything. And yeah, that if all you're doing under, is that, so yeah, and that would be one of those things that falls under like the you know the less valuable tasks. And you start to realize, hey, if I'm checking my email four times a day, but I'm only working on this one project that's going to lead me to my ultimate vision, you know, once every three days, then your scorecard's going to be pretty bad, and you're going to start to be able to see that in front of you and make the changes necessary to move forward. Right. And, and, you know, to, to go, I guess, a level underneath that is I think it's important to ask, why are we spending so much time on certain tasks that really aren't productive? You know, so for instance, why am I spending so much time on email or why am I spending so much time, you know, shuffling papers or doing things? And sometimes that's because we enjoy doing that. You know, if you're an organized person, you get, you get like an emotional high almost out of being organized. But I think also it's a way sometimes to procrastinate and to avoid doing things that we're scared of, you know, because the, at least for me, sometimes it's a way to avoid sitting down and writing because maybe I'm scared that what I'm going to write is is not really going to be effective or that nobody's going to like this book. And I'm just, in my own sort of crazy way, I'm doing something to avoid confronting that that fear or, you know, what Stephen Pressfield would call the resistance. We were talking about that earlier, his book, The War of Art. So, uh, you know, I think there's some psychology to that as well as why are we spending time on these these minute tasks that really aren't very valuable? You know, uh, is it because we really like doing that? No, it's sometimes because we're just scared to do something bigger. Maybe we don't think we deserve that that success or maybe we're we're scared because we're afraid of failure. So, you know, we can sort of analyze ourselves to death probably sometimes, but. But I think there, there's probably some psychology going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully put. I mean, it's true. 100%. So, all right. So moving down the list. Yes. Uh, I think we're on, are we on number two? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we had a big conversation for a, number one. It's going to be a long <laughs> podcast. So, Well, a lot of these, they won't is, have a huge explanation behind. I mean, I, I don't yeah. know. We're pretty good at, we're pretty good at elaborating, which is good though. Detail is good. And if I have to split this to two episodes, I can do that. So I'm not going to worry about it. So let's, let's roll with it. Yeah. Now remember I'm a, my day job is a college teacher. So, you know, I can go on and on and on <laughs> about anything. That's how you learn, Not because right? I, not because I know that much, but because, uh, you know, college teachers can 
can sort of drone on and on about yeah, things if, if we thing. need to fill the time. Yeah. yeah. So number two is make weekly and daily schedules. And this is just a very simple thing of what am I going to do today? You know, what am I going to accomplish this week? Michael Hyatt, the sort of the, the business, big business blogger and productivity guru, he has so many great, great things that he talks about. But one of the things he addresses on his blog is what he calls a weekly review where he, you know, will review the past week and then plan out the coming week. And it's a very simple process, but I find that extremely helpful where you're just, again, you're going back to intentionally using your time and you're planning ahead. What am I going to accomplish this week? When am I going to do it? How am I going to use my time? And I think on a weekly and a daily schedule is important for that process. Yeah, and taking it even a step farther, you know, I what what really changed for me was was creating this schedule, right? And putting it into Google uh, Calendar because I think that is a huge, huge tool. I'm not sure that everybody uses it like I do, but I mean, it controls my life when I look at, you know, how to manage my schedule, right? But when you take the making the weekly and daily schedules and then start implementing batch tasks into them, that is when things really started to open up for me. Like this podcast, for instance, you know, at first I was doing interviews seven days a week whenever they were scheduled in and I was editing whenever I could. And it was a nightmare as far as productivity. And I never thought about there are different ways to do this that can make it so much easier. So I went from doing that stuff seven days a week to actually sitting down, looking at this calendar, you know, writing down all the tasks that I need to do for a week, all the things that I need to do every month. You know, some things come daily, some things come weekly, some things come monthly. But if you make lists of all these things, you can sit down with a calendar for the month and write in to the certain days, similar items next to each other, right? So if I have duplicate items like editing podcasts, I can go through and, and I know John Lee Dumas is huge with, he's a proponent of batch tasking with this podcast, but literally there's yeah. only two days out of the whole month that I started doing interviews for my podcast. And those are the only options that I gave people to come on were, or actually, I'm sorry, four days out of the month, two every other week on a Monday and Tuesday. And going from the seven day a week thing to that in general it's it, it probably freed up 90% of my time. I mean, that's how important batch tasking is. And then if you can take yeah, your email I, yeah, and maybe that's think so of true. something else that you could be doing while your email um, is up, like something else on your computer that would be very easy to transition to after you're done with your email. Like when you start batching tasks together, your productivity increases dramatically. I mean, it's something crazy. Like just doing things that are similar can increase your productivity like 27% in one day and probably even more depending on how dramatic your, your switches were in between the tasks. Something else that has been working for me lately as well, in addition to the the whole batching thing, which is which is huge for me. It's um, I've started using a stand up desk at work. Oh yeah, and me too. that has um, yeah, it's it is a 
dramatically, I think, improved my focus and helped me to work faster. And, you know, another side benefit of that, now I work at a college and, you know, for some of some some of our listeners, they may not work at a job where they they have constant interruptions. But sometimes I have interruptions. The funny thing is that if you're standing up when someone comes into your office, then they're probably not going to stay that long because people just don't they don't stand and talk for an hour many times. They'll come for a few minutes and they'll leave. But if you're sitting down and the other person sits down, they're going to probably stay a lot longer. And again, it's not that I don't like people or don't like students, but you know. When I'm standing up, the conversation is usually going to get to the point a lot faster. That's what And it's just kind of a psychological, yeah, it's just like a psychological thing. So for me, just that one thing of having a stand-up desk, and, you know, all that consists of now is two file folder boxes with some binders piled on top of them. And I sit that on my desk. I've got my my big monitor there. I've got my Mac off to the side. I've got my keyboard there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like, in fact, one of my friends who's another professor, he came in the other day and said, you know, that is really redneck. You know that, right? <laughs> and he was kind of giving me a hard time, and I said, yeah, I know it is. It's okay. I'm, I'm working on building one at home, so for ergonomics, do what you got to do. I mean, you, you, you're talking about something that's going to make you feel a lot better at the end of the day as well, and I did the same thing. Like, I've got a desk in my office where I sit, but I built a bar in my basement last year that I has put little use to <laughs> since I've done it because I've made a dramatic lifestyle change, but it is perfect perfect height for a standing desk and it's nice and long and I can put all my workout on it and I've got a monitor that sits there all the time that I can just hook my Mac into and and get a lot of work done and I've got my vinyl player down there as well so I can put on some music and I really 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 find that when I work down there I am so much more productive than when I sit down because I, I do feel like when you're sitting down also yeah people are more likely to stay and and you know BS around but when you're sitting down I feel like you just are more likely to stop or like, you know, spin around in your chair or do something else. Like you just don't feel like there's that sense of urgency. Like we talked about earlier as you do when you're standing up, like you're, I think there's something subconscious about it that actually is working. um, That, that makes you focus better when you're standing up. I mean, I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. I don't know what it is. It's probably a part psychological, part physical, I don't know what it is, but um, I know I, I get a lot more work done when I stand up, typically. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, so number three. Number three is eliminate distractions. And this, you know, could be something like television. It could be YouTube. It could be whatever is distracting you. You know, just turn it off. Get rid of it. <laughs> for me, it's a, for me, it's my phone that sometimes is distracting or Facebook notifications popping up on my computer, you know, I shut those off, or email notifications popping up. Um, I talked to a coworker not too long ago, and I was in their office, and I noticed, and they have a very sort of, uh, they have a job where they're interacting with a lot of people. And I noticed on their, uh, they use a PC, I noticed on their Outlook program, these notifications would pop up all the time as we're talking, you know, on their computer. And I said, you know, you can shut those off to where you don't have to constantly stop what you're doing to respond to these emails, you know, and it, it had like, they, they just didn't realize they could do that. So yeah, sometimes it's just the simple things that distract us, but we have to be intentional and take action and be ruthless sometimes in eliminating those distractions. (laughs) Yeah. It's so huge. And if any, all my listeners know that I am a huge, huge fan of eliminating distractions. And I've been going through like a huge lifestyle change lately where I've 
been becoming way more of a minimalist and simplifying everything so that I can eliminate distractions. Because I mean, really, if you think about having all these things around and what they're costing you as far as time and attention and money and things like that, when you have less stuff, you ultimately are going to have less distractions, right? And I'm not saying that everybody out there needs to go get rid of their things, but when you when you look at it that way and you, you take on the persona of you have less distractions, right? Then that's going to give you more awareness in return. And what do you get when you get more awareness, right? You, you're paying attention to those things in life that matter the most. You know, these things that matter more to you, like forming these stronger relationships with your family, with your friends, with your peers, with your coworkers, whatever it may be, and engaging in higher levels of creativity, which is huge, right? We all want to get to those higher levels of creativity. And when you start to to dive into combining the engagement of those strong relationships with your family and your friends and your peers and so on, with those high levels of creativity, then look, you're you're opening up brand new doors that lead directly to the big bad clarity, right? Clarity in life and meaning in life. And ultimately when you live your life with that intent, when when you when you're really living through through clear intent, you're going to undoubtedly really discover that 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 pursuit of that dream life that you have or that happiness that you have it's not only possible, right? It's absolute, but it all starts with eliminating the distractions 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Absolutely. So, all right, cool. Number four. Okay. Number four is focus on one thing at a time. And, you know, this is a symptom of our age that we have a multitasking happening. We have all kinds of devices going off. We have people interrupting us. We have music going on. All these things that are, are really a distraction and I think you just have to find a way to focus on on one task at a time, whether it's writing or, you know, for me sometimes it's grading papers or preparing for class, whether it's making music if you're a musician or whatever it is, just focus on that one thing until it's done or until your your time limit is up on that and just find a way to be ruthless and focus on that one thing. Yeah, I'm just... It's such a never-ending battle for me on that one as well. And I, I do think that one major thing that I've done, and we might hit this later in the list, I'm not sure, but it's it's actually writing out you know the two or three main things that I need to do every day and then literally setting that timer on each one of them and focusing on those two or three things that are going to get me to where I want to be the most first and not doing anything else until they're done. And if you do that, and if you think about it, you're only getting one of these things done, right? If, if you only do one of these things every single day, you're still accomplishing more than you would have if you weren't making this list. Chances are. Because if you, if you right. don't do these right. things and if you don't focus, then you're all over the place and you really just end up in the same place that you started later down the road because you're not really tracking or setting goals or holding yourself accountable to get to a certain point that you want to be at. So, yeah, I mean, I... I I think there's a lot of different ways you can go about trying to do the focus game, but like we talked about earlier with the different tools and, and just kind of concentration and even the whole standing desk thing, I think that helps focus as well. Uh, but but yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, all right. So number five is grouping similar tasks together. I know I hit on that a little bit when we talked about the, the scheduling. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, to that? you know, I do, 
And I think what I would add about that is that different types of work or tasks require different kinds of thinking. So for instance, returning emails for me is a different mental process and a different creative process. I mean, I don't know what's creative about answering email, but but that's a different mental process for me than writing. Writing is a lot harder for me because, you know, writing involves very intense thinking and um, it's just hard work, you know, anytime you're creating something like that. So for me, I like to block out times to do different types of work. So, you know, for instance, I like to, to block out time to write several blog posts at once instead of doing, okay, one today and then one three or four days later, then another one three or four days later. It just kind of feels like you're going back and forth all the time. So I would rather take a huge block, not a huge block, but, you know, take a few hours and really write a few blog posts to the best of my ability and have those done for a couple of weeks rather than doing it just once every few days. So I think whatever it is that you're doing, you can you can sort of divide up your tasks and and group them into similar categories. And that way, yeah, I think you can make better use of your time instead of constantly switching mental gears, going from this thing to that thing to that other thing to this other thing, that all are requiring different types of thinking and different mental processes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think like one of the big, and I talked a couple, a little bit about some of the stuff I do as far as tasks go earlier, but as you, you just popped a new idea in my head when you said sit down and actually write several blog posts at once. Cause I've never thought about taking that extra step. I mean, that's, that's something because it, it seems like a scary task to write one, but really when you're in that flow, you're in that flow. And I was actually talking with Lindsay the other day because we wanted to be able to implement some other things that we love into kind of the, the hardships of, you know, there's, there's obviously an amazing side to writing the blog post, but then also you have that, that like, Oh gosh, you know, it's going to be a lot of work. How much time can I set aside to do this? So we were like, well, one thing we love doing is going outside and being in nature. So why not take a big gap of time, maybe a whole day, go outside, go to the park, go to the gorge, go to the river, whatever you want to do. And then take that time there to sit down and beast out several blog posts and then come back with them because I think your creativity is going to flow a lot better if you're in nature or you're in an environment that you're really fond of. And yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good idea because I think I'm going to actually put that into action. Yeah. And you know, you can also sort of subdivide this to a degree. And this is sort of where my annual retentive nature comes in because when you're writing a blog post, there are even different processes that go into that. You know, for me, the hardest part of writing anything is coming up with the outline for it. You know, you have the introduction, then you have sort of the, the main body of it, whatever it is. Then you have a conclusion or some type of call to action or something. For me, it, just getting those main chunks of that post down or of that chapter, whatever it is, getting that down in rough form, that for me is the hardest work. Once I have that down, the rest is a lot easier. You know, sitting down and sort of creating the flow of it and writing out full sentences and and all that stuff. That is, I think, the easier part of the process. And, you know, you just kind of have to figure out what works for you, I guess. But for me, if I can get that the, that hard stuff done all in one chunk for several posts, then I feel like I've really knocked something important off the list for a while. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's even cooler. I mean, I, that's taking it one step farther than even batching blog posts, you know, batching different sections of blog posts out. If there's, I could see that, that really working as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, getting you know the so many times stand out and then, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but getting the idea. No, no, that's out. okay. Yeah. 
You know, and I've, I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of students actually as well, who, you know, they want to start blogs, they want to do an ebook, they want to do a podcast, or they want to do things that seem like they're gargantuan tasks. And they're very intimidating because there's some technical processes involved in blogging and, you know, podcasting and all that. But for me, it's really fun to help people see it doesn't have to be stressful. It's just a systematic process. You go through these steps, do one at a time, do them in order, and then you've got something done. So many times we'll look at this big thing like, oh, I've got to write this book or I've got to, I've got to create this blog post or whatever it is that we feel like is kind of a, a big thing that we tend to want to avoid because we're sort of scared of it. But you just got to eat it one bite at a time. And you can break it up into little chunks and then do each of those. And pretty soon you've got a book or you've got you know, some blog posts or you've got a podcast or whatever. You've got a painting or an album, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Anything creative that is going to be awesome. Awesome song. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. All right. So number six is learn to say no. We already covered that. So we can probably yeah. skip to number seven. Uh, take advantage of spare moments. Yeah. What this is about is the idea that as great as it would be to have, you know, huge blocks of time, which actually we get to in number eight. These are kind of two sides of the same coin, really. As much as we would like to have hours to work on things, sometimes we don't have a lot of time to work on stuff. So you can look at your day pretty much and find these little chunks of time that are that are blocks of time that are wasted. For instance, it might be when you go to the doctor's office, you're waiting around for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, when you go to pick up your kid from school, if you're waiting for someone for a lunch appointment, um, for me, if I'm going with my, if I'm going shopping with my wife, she's probably going to be shopping. I'm going to be waiting somewhere, maybe in the car or in a store. Um, if you go to the movies and you're waiting for the movie to start, now again, this is going to sound really anal because I take stuff to do at the movies. Like if if I'm by myself, I'll go a little bit early and I'm like, well, I'm here for 20 minutes. You know, what am I going to do? Sit and watch the advertisements for 20 minutes? What a waste of time, you know. And some people are hearing this and they're going, wow, you are like the most anal retentive person I've ever heard. <laughs> no, I would but but I'm serious. I mean, way, I mean, the way I think about it is, okay, you can, you can take this 15 or 20 minutes. You can get some thinking done. You can write a blog post outline, put it in Evernote so that you have it there. Or you can read for 15 or 20 minutes or answer some emails. Well, that way you've just saved 15 or 20 minutes from later in the evening or from tomorrow morning or, or something. So... You know, if you look at your day, there's all these little blocks of time that we just kind of waste. You know, we're looking at Facebook, we're surfing the internet, we're watching funny cat videos on YouTube or whatever it is. And, you know, if you take advantage of those little times, little moments, you can actually get a lot of stuff done. So like reading or, you know, emails or, you know, thinking about the content of a chapter or a blog post or a podcast guest or whatever it is. So I'm a huge fan of looking at your day and taking advantage of these little spare moments that pop up. Yeah. I mean, that kind of plays into, to writing down what you do throughout the day as well. You can find these little gaps of time that you're blowing, you know, these 15 here, 20 minutes here, and you'll start to see how much it actually adds up to. And it's crazy. Yeah. Like, sometimes I'll, I'll read different studies on, you know, the average amount of time people, spend watching TV or looking at their cell phone. And it's crazy to me. And I mean, I've been victim to both of those probably at some point. And it's just, you have to be able to identify that you are and then be 
aware enough to make the right decisions as far as moving forward and trying to improve yourself. And I think that this yeah. is one of those things, you know, you got to take advantage of those spare moments. Yeah. You know, I was reading, actually listening to part of the audiobook version of, you know, who Amy Puller is from Saturday Night Live. She used to be on yeah. SNL. Yeah. And um, what, what is her book that just came out? Oh, it's called Yes, Please, I think. And she's kind of an interesting person. And I like to read books by entertainers and celebrities because people who are really highly successful, especially creative people, you can learn so much from them just by learning, okay, how, how did they get to that place? And what are the things that they've done in their lives to help them to be so, you know, uh, so successful? And in this book, she was talking about how she actually wrote this book, which was just in spare moments. And I think it was in the introduction she was mentioning that, yeah, I'm writing this introduction while. I'm putting my kid to bed. You know, my my son's in my lap sleeping and I'm here on my computer and I'm writing this introduction, you know, in the dark. And I read that and I thought, you know, that is so contrary to the image that we have of successful people. We think, oh, they have this very easy life where they're just kind of maybe in the Caribbean, they're, you know, on the beach, they're writing their book, they've got an easy life. And that's not really the case. I mean, even somebody like her, she was saying, hey, I've got a, I've got a very full life and a family, so I'm taking advantage of these little chunks of time to write this book. And she said that's how that whole book was written. And oh, I found that very cool. encouraging. Yeah. yeah, I was really encouraged by that. Yeah, cool. So work in large blocks of time. Yeah, so number eight is work in large blocks of time, which sounds like the exact opposite of what I just said. But I think you can do both things. You know, as helpful as small chunks of time are, I think it's important to take big chunks of time if you can do that, if your life will allow that. Now, in my life right now, I can do that a couple days a week because most of the courses that I teach are what's called hybrid courses. That means they're partially in class and partially online. So I've got a couple days a week where I don't teach any courses and I'm doing stuff online, but I'm not in the classroom. So I can block out some time to work on school stuff or work on writing or or other things. You know, your life may not be that way exactly. But again, I think it just goes back to taking control of your schedule and you decide how you're going to spend your time. You know, obviously, if you have a family, if you have a job, if you have other commitments, you're going to have to take those into consideration. But I, th- I think I think sometimes we we perceive that we don't have as much control over our time as we actually do. You know, because we're we're afraid to say no to things. We're afraid to sometimes get out of commitments that we shouldn't have gotten into in the first place. And we're afraid that we're going to offend somebody. But, you know, I, I just go back to the idea that if, if you want to try and be successful, you have to be uh, kind of ruthless about your time and you have to take charge of your life. I don't always do it right. There are a lot of times where I mess that up. But I think generally I'm, I'm doing a better job of, of that than I used to. Yeah. And I think that can go hand in hand also with, with batching tasks and things like that as well. I mean, if you, yes, if you're putting yes. similar things together and working in those large blocks of time, that is when, I mean, it's not going to be this way for everybody, but that is when I can be the most productive, right? That is, it is definitely a sort of like you mentioned earlier, a, a Zen moment when I feel like I have accomplished that. Cause when you do one of those big blocks of time and you look back and you look at all those things that you accomplished, it's like, all right, like that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, this has been about 10 years ago, I'm kind of dating myself, but when I was in grad school, my my final project for 
um, my Master of Arts degree was writing a thesis. And basically, you're writing a book on a research topic. And I picked um, you know, a topic. It was worship leaders in the Bible, you know, which may or may not be of interest to some of the listeners, which is totally fine. Nobody has actually read that project except for me and my official readers, <laughs> you know, who I like had to pay to read it for, for my <laughs> grad school stuff. So I think one of my students actually read it one time, but they had to do it for a class, so they didn't really count. But I, I wrote that project over one summer. And what I learned from that project was, you know, I would go to the library every day and work on it. And literally, I would say to myself, okay, I'm literally not getting up out of this chair until I finish three more pages or until I finish this outline or until I finish this section of it. And what I learned from that project was that you can accomplish something big. You can accomplish something that seems like it's way too big of a project for you. If you just sit in the chair, work in little increments, and you know, eventually you'll get it done if you work at it long enough. So for me, that was a really important lesson, you know, just of setting aside time, sitting in the chair till it's done. And, um, you know, the end result was worth it. Okay, yeah, hey, I had to cut this in half because it's so long. So for part two, you're going to have to come back to the next episode when it releases to continue your 21 ways to create more time for your artwork. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Archapreneur Now. For all the show notes, it's artsynow.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, email me at create at artsynow.com or on twitter at hb underscore armstrong the music well that's shaky feeling check them out ventura california ta-ta keep it funky